This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Standard issue. For all women. Alright you bunch of Bobby Dazzlers, welcome to the Sunday Chops. I hope you're hungry because we are serving up a huge slab of meat chat. Yeah, I think I've run out of analogy there. For you this week, if you listen to the podzine, you will have heard Liz Axum and Katya, and I'm going to be honest, I can't really say her surname, but I'll give it a shot. Jezod Poirot, Pyro, that's what we're calling her, Katya Poirot. From Lighthearts UK, and when you start listening, she will say her surname properly, talking to us about stress and how to bust that prick ahead of National Stress Awareness Day. I say ahead, that's already gone, but unfortunately stress doesn't just disappear after people have been aware of it for a day. If only, if only. But Liz and Katya offered some amazing tips on how to deal with a brain that's too busy and all sorts of stuff. Hopefully you've listened to Chops before. We've got some absolute corkers in the freezer. I should probably just skip this analogy again, shouldn't I? Jen has spoken to sporty legends, Judy Murray and Claire Balding. Hannah and I spoke to Jem Turner, disability and style blogger. I have chatted to our Sarah about her new book, How to Be Champion, which is champion. And also Ray Earl about her book, It's All in Your Head, A Guide to Getting Your Shit Together, which is also excellent. If you like this, then please have a little listen to the podzine. If you already like the podzine and the gig cast, please share the joy, tell a pal. Right, I have been wanging on for ages. Without further ado, tuck in. Hello there. We are joined, and by we, I mean Hannah and I are joined. Hello. That's Hannah. There she is. Uh, joined by Katya and Liz from Lighthearts UK. Now you'll see I have purposely not said surnames, and that's because I can say Liz's. It's fine. But I can't say Katya's. So do you two want to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Katya Giselle Puero. Oh, God, you say it like you've said it before. I know, it's weird that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Liz Axum. On Wednesday, which is today, if you're listening to the podcast, on the day that we um, publish, what do we do with the podcast? Come out. Come out. Then it is National Stress Awareness Day. And these two broads know quite a lot about dealing with stress. Okay. <laughs> they're nodding. They're, they're silent. I mean, nods work brilliantly on a podcast. Thanks. <laughs> We're really used to doing this, clearly, aren't we? We're nodding away. Yeah. Um, well, Lighthearts UK, we set that up a few years ago. I'm a massage therapist. And I just noticed that every time I was giving people massages, nearly everyone that was coming to me were talking about their stress problems, their anxiety, depression, a lot of mental health issues. And I used to chat with Lizzie, who's a um, NHS psychiatric nurse, and I used to chat with her about it. And I suddenly realised that we could actually do something where we could put together mental health advice on my website 
and it would be free of charge for anyone who wants to come and uh, download meditations and this is what we we wanted to do is make it free of charge because Lizzie who works in the National Health Service will tell you that there is no money in the National Health Service mental health teams at the moment and um, we just wanted to do something just to try and alleviate a lot of the stress and anxiety that's out there at the moment. No money uh, in the NHS for mental health. I mean, it only affects one in three people. So, yeah. 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 I mean, it's 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 interesting. You see everywhere, all over the media, mental health. You know, it's everywhere at the moment. Mental health, big problem, difficulty. And the, the resources are just not there. I'm seeing people far further down the the line with their mental health problems. So, mm-hmm. whereas we used to see people earlier and do the kind of work that I'm doing now with CAT, um, we're not able to see people now to, until much further down the line, so they're much more unwell. I was going to say, I guess, with, like with most illnesses, if it's left to its own devices and not given any help or, or support, then it just gets worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. unfortunately, the, the referrals aren't coming through to us till later because the, the criteria for getting into secondary mental health teams, it's a lot higher now. You need to be more unwell to get to us. So, hang on, we've got Jen joining us. She's got a question. I would like to know if uh, what you're saying about the resources in the NHS. So, where there there are no resources, there's a lot of talk about it by politicians, and there has been for a couple of years now. And there've been all sorts of pledges about doing this, that, and the other. Now, obviously, we all know the NHS is fucked, like in general terms, and the amount of money being spent on it, I believe, is significantly less in real terms Mm. because of you know economics in terms of like actual tangible policies has any of that translated into like actually more focus or or anything positive well i mean i've been doing this job 20 years and i haven't seen that i've seen a lot of a lot of talk um a lot of people saying that we should be doing more a lot of you know potential for resources but the actual resources don't follow the words so Mm. we're told by the cqc to do more and we say we would happily do more but we need to resource that and and over the years the resources have got thinner and thinner we used to have day hospitals we used to have assertive outreach teams we used to have oh carer support all sorts of resources and it's not there now but the cqc come in and say why aren't you doing more? Why is you just tell more? us what the CQC, the Care Quality Commission? So they're independent. They come in and make sure we're doing the job properly, basically. Like an Ofsted for yeah, for yeah, absolutely. Okay. We're all very much aware of them. I think they're you know they're amazing. It's good that we have them because they keep us on our toes. They make sure that we're we're trying to give good quality care. with the resources we have but then you're caught in that position where you're trying desperately to do that but with limited resources having worked in that particular job for 20 years i'm guessing it must be very frustrating because you have to give a shit to do that job otherwise why would you do it and you take on board a lot of people's anxieties and stresses and problems so when katya approached you I'm guessing you bit her arm off. You were like, yes, we can actually do something. No. Yeah. Did you have she, to woo her? I had to woo her. The thing is with Lizzie, she, bless her, she's been my best friend since I was 11. And I knew that if I said, right, we're going to, I've got this idea 
that we're going to put together this package. We're going to do meditations. We're going to tell our stories about our mental health problems because both of us have suffered in the past as well. Let's be completely honest and let's tell everyone what we went through and the techniques that we've learned and what we've learned in our professional lives as well. And she was like, yeah, well, I could just, I, I can help you with a few little bits and I can, yeah, maybe I can write a few little techniques and I've got some stuff in my paperwork I can pull out. And I was like, no, 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 Lizzie, I need you on board. I need you to write things. I need you to be honest. And it was hard at the beginning because Lizzie is someone who's very private and I'm a bit more like, let it all hang out. I don't give a shit what anyone thinks. So it was really interesting. And for both of us, it was a, it was a, a I hate that word journey because it is, but it was a mental health journey for both of us doing this project. Has it been cathartic? Oh God, I, I had a nervous breakdown afterwards. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what I meant by cathartic, to be honest. But it was because I had to get it out. Because when you're giving advice to people and you're saying, oh yeah, well, if you want to, you know, you have to be honest about your feelings, you have to, things are going to be hidden, that's all going to come out when you do this course, you're going to have th- things that you, you're in denial about. And then at the end of the course, once we'd done it all and we put it all out, I suddenly realised there was a lot that I hadn't dealt with and then I ended up having what I call a wobblex. It's not a nervous breakdown. It's a, I call it a wobblex when it, you just go into a bit of a, a, you know, a funk and you think, oh, God, it's all gone horribly wrong. And I ended up having to see a therapist <laughs> for a little while. Was just it to do get... as I say, not as I do for a while? No, it was okay. a bit. Yeah. But that's the thing is that it, it really does, it, it shines a light on that sometimes because in our job we spend a lot of our time telling people sort of hey why don't you try this and try that and actually sometimes we don't do it ourselves sometimes we go oh god I've got to remind myself to do those things because it's it's important to keep your own and that's the thing when we're in our jobs is that we're looking after other people's mental health and we forget about our own it strikes me it's easier to sit and write a prescription for a drug than it is to tackle the underlying problems. Is that something, is that common in your experience, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, GPs try their hardest, but they've got a very short amount of time yeah. to, to see people. I think identifying you know, mental health issues around presenting somatic complaints. So, you know, my neck's, my neck is painful. I've got joint pain. I'm not sleeping terribly well. You know, we're, we're hopeful that GPs are becoming more... Uh, able to identify that actually maybe that seven minutes could be used to, to sort of say well how are you feeling in yourself and what's going on in your life rather than okay take some codeine I hope we're getting there I, we, we certainly do a fair bit of work closely with the GPs to try and get people to to ask other questions um, when they're in in the surgery but I think we're a long way from where I would like us to be. And I think it's hard because there's still that stigma around mental health. I chatted to the author, Rayel, who wrote My Mad Fat Teenage Diary, and she is incredibly candid about her mental health issues. And we were talking about the fact that mental health doesn't necessarily mean mental illness. It's in the same way that you look after your body. We're just never really taught to look after our brains. And because there's a stigma that if your brain has gone a little bit wonky then there's something really wrong with you. I think people going to see their GPs don't want it to be mental. They want it to be, well, no, I've done something to my neck or my back or my yeah. my elbow. I'm yeah. pretty sure that isn't a thing that comes up with <laughs> mental health. Really whammy elbow. And it's almost like they're resisting 
that. So it must be even harder to spot when you're on the other side of it. I went to doctors a while ago now, not in a very good place mentally, and knowing that I was not in a very good place. Like, I went there in tears, just like, I'm a mess, basically. And my GP was lovely, she was great, but she was just like, I can give you some antidepressants and I can put you on a waiting list for six sessions of CBT. It's like, I don't need CBT, my brother died, I'm really sad about it. Like, my life is not great, I'm sad about it, I need to talk to someone. And she was just like, you're not going to get that on the NHS, I'm really sorry, but the waiting list is so long... Yeah. you are going to have to go private and that's all you can do. I mean, I was very lucky. I was able to pay for it mm-hmm. privately, but a fuckload of people won't be because it is not cheap. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons we did the the course that we did is because before we did the course that we were going to workshop the techniques first and I did some free workshops in a council estate. I had about 20 people coming along and I did some really basic techniques and these people had never heard of any of these techniques and I was thinking my god if a GP had just been able to just before they did the antidepressant prescription that they could just roll out a few just say right this is it or or give them a link to a website Mm. to say try this technique because this might really help then a lot of these people would have been okay and after I did a, I did, we did 12 weeks with them and the, it was just incredible to see the difference. There was a, a lady that had said, she said, oh, I was just, I felt like I had a ball and chain. I was just dragging it around with me. And she said, now I use these techniques. And I, she said for the first time in 10 years, she felt okay. And that was amazing because you think, my gosh, it's just really, really simple techniques. But if you don't know where to go, if you don't know where the information is going to come from or you don't, you don't have a trusted source, and that's um, one of the reasons we thought, well, if we get it all in one place, if we get all these resources in one place, all these techniques in one place, and people can try and test, because some things don't work for some people. There's certain techniques where you just go, I really can't, I can't get on with that. But then there'll be something else that you can work with that can really, really help. Going back to what you said about physical pain and and mental pain and how that relates, I see that all the time. So many people come to me, they've got bad necks, bad bad shoulders, they have lower back pain, and they've got pains in their joints. And nearly every person that I see who has pain in their body also has mental pain. And I will always, because I had do full consultations before, I will always find out something. And it is nearly always mental pain that is causing physical pain. You hold yourself differently. You tense up. Just to go back to what Katty's been talking about, the course. So this isn't the first time that Light Hearts has been in standard issue. We chatted to you guys when you first started the course. And it's a 10-week course to promote mental health. And I'm, I'm using the word health in the kind of like keeping your brain healthy. Yeah. So... Can you tell us a little bit about the techniques and... Yeah, Lizzie, Lizzie can... Well, I mean, you, most of it was you, I have to say. Credit where <laughs> well, credit's you. No, no, but it was. I mean, I, I think we, we talked a lot, didn't we, about how it was going to look, what was something that was going to be practical, something that was going to be easy, something that was signposting, trying to consolidate all the information that I'd got in my head and what I do, all the stuff that you do, and just trying to put that in one place. I don't... 
we wanted to avoid being too prescriptive for all the reasons that Kat's just said. You know, some things work for some people and other things don't work so well. So it's about trying to find your own path. So it was about devising that. Yeah. But when we started off writing it, I sort of halfway through, I just went, oh, this is really shit. This is really shit because it sounds like Gwyneth Paltrow. You know? Yeah, it, you we know really that. Wouldn't, yes, some and I was, you were telling them to put things up themselves. Goo balls or whatever. Over something. <laughs> These are your magic chakra stones that you shove right up your foof. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I really didn't want to do any chakra stones up your foof kind of thing. So I said, I said to Lizzie, this is sounding too dry I said it's that and like she said prescriptive it was like if you do this you'll feel really so much better and I Mm. I wanted to say there were so many times when I've tried techniques and they haven't worked at all and I mean I have to use them every day like for example this is a classic one that I had to do last night last night went to bed nice and cozy I'm there you know I'm feeling good within the space of five minutes I was crying and the reason was was because I'd gone from being cosy to suddenly my brain said to myself, oh, so what happens though if tomorrow your husband dies? What happens if tomorrow tomorrow this happens and you lose everything? Then what happens when you get old, you'll have no house? What happens if your kids hate you and you get put in a home? What happens when you're in a home, the people in the home hate you and beat you up? Right, that's how my brain works. In five minutes. Yeah, actually, in five that minutes. does sound quite familiar. Yeah. That's how okay. my brain works too. I'm going to ask a psychiatric nurse, are brains pricks? Ooh, um, it's, it does feel sometimes like it's conspiring against you constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think we have to try and stay focused on the fact that you... You can you can change. You you don't have to think the way you think. Psychiatry is all about starting to think about how you think. Um, so they're like a muscle that maybe you can retrain. Absolutely, okay. and I think holding on to that is is kind of pretty fundamental. That's that that is what will get is you that feeling. Sanity? <laughs> <laughs> there are processes that you learn. There are maladaptive behaviours that you learn. Some of them you learn consciously. Some of them you learn unconsciously. There are things that we do through our life that start in childhood that we maintain through our teens and sustain through our twenties and thirties and reach forties and suddenly go. Do you know what? I'm so sick of this shit. I am so sick of this shit. And if you get there then you think about ways that you can not do that anymore and maybe feel a little bit better in yourself. And I think what we've tried to do with our programme is to say there's lots of different ways that you can do that. This is some of them. Have a, have a look at this. See what you think. Have you heard about this? Have you heard about this technique? Have you seen the way this person has helped themselves? Listen to these two idiots around there wanging on about stuff yeah. that they've been through. I think sounding smugly like they know the solution to yeah. everything. But, you know, just it, 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 there are different ways to help. Is there like a generational divide in thought about dealing with it? And I can only say from my personal experience, if I tell someone of my generation to seek help or go talk to someone or you know maybe read this book or whatever generally they look at me and say okay thanks for that I'll think about it they won't necessarily do it mm. I say something to my parents generation about it they look at me like I'm talking some old hippie dippy shit yeah. like you've just gone find a sheep yeah. sacrifice it yeah <laughs> cover yourself in the entrails <laughs> yeah I mean absolutely I, I work predominantly with older people so people over 65 and 
absolutely that is a huge barrier there is a sense of people people will present at their gp with my neck aches yeah. my you know i've got all these somatic complaints but they wouldn't dream of saying actually i've lost my partner of 60 years and i'm struggling and i'm crying every day and i can't cope because that's just not part of the language that they've been used to having whereas i think that as as the generation you know go through the generations and we we talk more freely about our mental health and there seems, seems to be more of a sense of it being okay to talk about so well, yeah. women said i was going to say is there a gender divide yeah, 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 there, yeah. there's definitely i mean we can see it just you know just with our families that the women are far more likely to ring each other up and even if it's not seeking professional help being able to talk to each other is is an enormous benefit whereas the men don't talk about anything like for instance you know in my family uh, my father would never speak about what has been troubling him and it's an enormous it's it's an enormous burden for him and I'm sure that but for him it's about not opening that can of worms mm. because he I don't think he would be able to know if he could cope with that can of worms if it did open yeah. whereas I think for for instance in in my family my grandma was in a mental institution twice and I remember visiting her there and going with my dad and my dad always uses humour to cover things. So we were there, we were, you know, and it's a distressing place. And as we were walking down the corridor to go and visit my grandma, this man comes along, sees my dad, who's got a beard and moustache, and goes, oh, my God, it's the Messiah. And my dad just goes, well, I'm so glad someone's finally recognised me. <laughs> and that kind of thing, that humour is what is, is like a barrier, but at the same time, it's, it's a way of coping with situations. And sometimes, you know, we do notice that the, the funniest people are, are the ones that are in the most pain and they're keeping it there and they're not expressing it in a constructive way. I think also that there is that thing where sometimes it's too much, putting too much out there. Like sometimes, like when... When I went to see the therapist recently, like we have to talk about when we have to split up from our therapist because there's a point when you get in therapy where you go, okay, I'm done now. But then you have to split up with your therapist, you which is really, them. you have yeah. to dump them. And it's, I was going, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to dump my therapist. I'm done talking. I need to move on now. I'm one of those people that go, okay, I've talked about the situation. I think I've understood it as best I can, but now I need to get on with my life. And I don't want to come back every week and talk about it because I have Lizzie as my best friend who's a psychiatric oh nurse who can deal with my shit. It's Lizzie so. going, please go back to the parents. <laughs> I'm so very tired. <laughs> so it's that as well. There's all these different things where sometimes people overshare and then some sometimes with people with friends they go oh god I can't bear to hear any more and it's a really difficult path to tread being able to express yourself being able to talk to friends being able to talk to therapists but at the same time being able to move on as well it's mm. a really really fine line and, and it's hard to hard to navigate I think yeah. it's a difference between talking and dwelling maybe yeah, yeah. but just talking in itself I mean I had went to counselling. I think I got six sessions free on the NHS about ten years ago. Was it counselling instead of CBT? No, it was counselling. And it was just a woman sitting in a room and I was just talking to her and it was an absolute fucking revelation because at no point did she say to me, well, the thing you need to understand about your sister is, or, (laughs) well, don't you know that they had this in their life? And she just went, hmm? I mean, I don't think she said 
anything. And it wasn't one of those tricks to make me say more stuff. I was fucking loving it. I was like, and then this happened, and then this happened. And it was just about me for an hour, and it's never just about me. And it was amazing. Yeah. I would recommend it to anyone. The removal of relativity, because even the best-meaning people will go... Oh well, you know, at least you know you've you've got so and so. Well, but and and I get it. They're trying to see the bright side and the positives in your life. Yeah. But sometimes you're like, I just really need. I'm going to call it a whinge because I'm British, but a whinge about yeah. what's and nobody knows off. that you've said it, and no one's going to throw it back in your face. There's no judgment and, yeah. as well. It's judgment, and this is the thing when you have when you speak to a friend. They have a reference of you. Mm-hmm. They know how you tick and everything like that, and they know. They know what's gone on in your life and they try and throw out suggestions and things like that. And sometimes it is really, really important to go to a stranger mm-hmm. who just lets you talk. Yeah. And Lizzie, you know, Lizzie deals with that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's, a, there's a place for, for sitting down with mates and talking about things. But there's also that exactly as you said, you need that opportunity to just talk. And sometimes you don't want to be made to feel better by somebody. You don't want someone to problem solve. Yeah. You don't someone want someone to understand. You just need them to hear you to validate what you're saying. So you you need someone to hear you say it's shit. Yeah. That's you know, it's shit. Isn't it? Because I think sometimes when people come to you with problems, you know, when your mates come to you with problems, you kind of feel a bit like you need to give them solutions yeah. and things like that. But when, but you do just you just want to. Yeah, say it. Sometimes you don't want a solution. You don't want. Nope. You just want to hear everything someone says. Sounds yeah. like you're just like, oh fuck off. Do you think I haven't thought of that? Oh, it all sounds. Say. It all sounds. There's plenty more yeah. fish in the sea. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. yeah. There's a phrase I came across recently. I think it's called holding space. So there's a couple of people in my life who are making decisions that I do not think are good for them. And so I said, you've told me this, and I care about you. It's not you and Jen, <laughs> Hannah. Hannah's worried. I mean, it might be. I wouldn't admit it. Jen so and I are quite inappropriately close to each other, so who knows what <laughs> Hannah and Jen are making some really terrible decisions at the moment, and I've listened to them. But these people have, have told me, and I'm like, well, because I care about you, I have to say I'm worried about this, this, and this. But every conversation we have from now on, now I've said that, I'm just going to listen. Unless you ask for my opinion, I'm, I'm not going to offer it because I'm th- these are my worries and I've expressed them. But I know how important it is that someone just goes, do you know what? I could sit here and give you advice and give you cuddles and you're going to do what the fuck you want anyway. And yeah, I just need someone to listen, even if it's my own fault I've messed up sometimes. Yeah, yeah just to hear it. And, and also it's to get... Get those thoughts out in the open. You don't necessarily need any any it to go anywhere. It's just it's not in your head anymore. That's and it. That helps when it's in your head and it's racing and it gets mixed yeah. up with other stuff. So going back to what you were saying about when you went to bed and you were like, mm, "I'm going to go to see what if I kill everyone <laughs> and I wake up tomorrow and I'm dead. This is going to be awful." And your brain just goes on a little fucking caravan yeah. trip around a horror site. And you're just like, ugh. But it's all jumbled in your head. And if you if you write it down or say it yeah. out loud, you can yeah. actually go, well, that doesn't make any sense. And that's illogical. Or, oh, that stems from that. Yeah. Instead of it all just living in your head. Yeah. Or you can do one of our, our techniques is the shut it brain one. So last night when I went down that horrible hellish journey of being beaten up in a care home, 
You think... <laughs> it's so random, isn't it? Oh, my God, it? it's the cat seat in my it's, face. It <laughs> is. It's totally... I've, I've had that one as well. And you go through that thing. But last night, when I got to that thing where I could feel the tears starting to trickle down my cheeks, I just laughed at myself and went, shut it, cat. Shut it. And, I, and now I'm able to... I've got that technique. So I know where this is going. And... It, you have to know that you can change your thoughts and you can change your reaction to your thoughts. So my normal reaction would have been, oh, God, my life's going to be shit and uh, like this. But my reaction then was using a sense of humour, shutting myself up, saying, this is not going to do you any good. Shut it now. OK, shut it. And then laughing at myself. And then I could get to sleep. But I have to consciously stop myself. And these are techniques that we're having to use all the time when we're just going, okay, like I had a binge eating disorder for many, many years from, from the age of 11 onwards. And two years ago, I stopped it because I finally stopped my relationship, my destructive relationship with food. But I have to consciously do it all the time. And it's one of those things where you think, oh, God, why can't I just be normal? And then you just suddenly realise no one's normal and everyone struggles like this on a daily basis. Everyone has their thing. And it's just (laughs) recognising it and just going, it's okay, it's how I'm going to react to it. I am able to change my thinking towards these things. But it is, we were saying it's about making new neural pathways. You can actually change your brain but you have to do it on a habitual basis in order to do it. And then it becomes completely natural. You just go, oh, okay, I'm doing this. I'm doing the cats are eating my face thought. Stop. Now continue. And then you, but you have to, you have to do that. the basic principle of CBT. Yes. Think about how you think. And that sounds really simple, but that's the basic principle is that you need to start thinking about what you're thinking and how you're thinking. We believe every thought that goes through our head and much more easily believe the bad thoughts. And you're like, well, I thought it, so it could possibly be true. Or I feel a way, so it's real. I feel this, so it must be real. And it's like, well, no, we feel all sorts of things and think all sorts of crackers notions that, you know, oh, I might just hit them with... I remember I was in bed with my um, fiance when we this was a long time ago because I'm not engaged anymore and maybe th- this might have been the turning point but I just went to him do you ever think that like if you just pick that lamp up you could absolutely stave my head in and he just went no but clearly you've thought that <laughs> and I'm like, I loved him to bits I had no plans to stove his head in with a lamp but it's clearly gone through my head but we tend to believe that if we think it we're capable of it or yeah. if we feel it it must be real yeah. And retraining something that you've had for 20, 30, 40 years isn't easy. I had a a panic attack, which, I mean, is relatively common. But about five years ago, I was working in in a newspaper. It was pretty stressful. I took voluntary redundancy, but part of the terms of the voluntary redundancy were that I had to stay in that job for a year, unless I found another job, in which case I'd lose my redundancy pay. And some other people that I worked with did that. So our department was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, because they weren't replacing people, the job was getting more and more and more stressful, which was something I can cope with because I've always been able to deal with stress in a relative, a lot of it with humour, but I certainly thought. And then 
a friend of mine, his dad died, and his dad died from the day of diagnosis with what he had to the day of his death was 33 days. And I realised when he told me that it was 33 days until my leaving day at work. And I cannot explain what happened to me, but I became absolutely, utterly convinced that I could die before I got to leave this job that I had been working in and struggling and staying in it. And I had a really stressful day at work and I had what I can only say was I thought was a heart attack. There was no two ways about it. And it transpired to be a full-blown panic attack because what surprised me about it and why I couldn't believe that it was a panic attack was because I had physical symptoms and not just shortness of breath and a pain. I had absolutely no blood in my arms at all. They were completely white. When you pressed my fingernails, there was, there was nothing. And a colleague of mine took me to hospital and he said, I think you're having a panic attack. And I said, come on, I'm, this, I'm not the sort of person that has a panic attack. I'm the sort of person that has a heart attack. I'm <laughs> overweight. I smoke. It seems way more likely to me that this is going to be a heart attack. But we got there and they checked me out and they said, you are having a panic attack. And that, in a way, was kind of also a revelation because up until that point, I'd never really considered that mental health was a thing for me. Which is preposterous, because if you look at my family, it's absolutely riddled with alcoholism and things like that, which suggests that, mm-hmm. you know, it is mm-hmm. an issue in my family. It's just not something we've ever talked about. But also, you've got a brain, and therefore it can go wrong. Or it can have its off days, I suppose. Because, I mean, I know you didn't give me a solid yes, but when I asked you, are brains pricks? You were like, yeah, I reckon. <laughs> they can be, for <laughs> They sure. can be. So it's National Stress Awareness Day. Stress. I mean, it's a big old word for, like, a word with six letters in it. (laughs) Six letters. (laughs) I just counted, just counted it is six letters. What does it mean to you if someone came to either of you with stress? Because obviously they come to you for slightly different things, but what does it mean to you? I'm going to start with Liz. In my job, I probably wouldn't get to see someone who was stressed you know, just stressed, it would probably be a little bit more extreme than that. We do, I say unfortunately, I'm going to say unfortunately, the medical model is pretty strong in psychiatry, in the mental health teams. We have limited resources for talking therapies. We have some occupational therapies. We have some access to psychology, but it's mainly medication. Uh, Stress, I think people presenting at their GP... I would like to think that that's not the first thing that the GP would reach for, would be an antidepressant medication or a benzodiazepine, an anxiolytic medication. I suspect it possibly is. It's going to be a sign of other stuff that's going on though, right? Yeah, I mean, most of the people that I see that I, I treat, when they're stressed, there's always something going on. But most of it is, I just see people with really, really busy lives and a lot of the time then lives could be simplified a little bit more and you see that people are working their way to an early grave sometimes because you can see it building up building up building up and they take responsibility on responsibility and sometimes you just think oh my gosh I wish I could help that person more but it it all does come down to them and it all does come down and it, it we have to struggle with it every day is making time for yourself that is the bottom line we all have responsibilities we all are 
called upon to do things that we don't really want to do. We all have jobs, we all have families, we all have responsibilities in that way. But the bottom line always is that you put yourself first. So whatever happens, there'll be certain things like, for instance, my mental health. There's a few little things that I have to do. And if I don't, I go completely bonkers. So I have to have a 30 minute walk every day. I have to do at least 15 minutes of stretching, just a little bit of yoga that helps me with my, you know, pains in my joints and things, which takes the stress off my body, but it also calms my mind. And I also have to do a little bit of meditation as well. So I know that if I don't do those things, and those things can, they they take less than an hour to do every day. So sometimes I, I set my alarm a bit earlier and sometimes I turn the TV off earlier in order to do them. And it's hard sometimes because all I want to do is veg out and watch Netflix. That's seriously, that's all I want to do. But I just say to myself, if I don't do these little things, and they're just little things really, they keep me on an even keel. And that I have to hold dear to myself. And I I, all, I always just try and stress, and we always stress that to ourselves because we know what we have to do to keep our mental health and our stress under control. And it's really hard for most people to do it. But that's what we would say every time. Just hold yourself as dear to yourself as you do other people. You are the number one person because without you, no one else gets you. You don't get to care for anyone else because if you're not looking after yourself, no one else gets cared for. So you put yourself first. It's like the oxygen masks. On yeah, the put it really first. Says, yeah, please. Oh, really? but yeah, she says it's her big thing that she, that's when it clicked for her. Ray said that it was like when she saw, she was like, oh, that's really selfish. So, and then she's like, no, but if I'm not alive, I can't sort well, anyone I else. Out. I didn't listen to the Ray Ellen interview. Sorry, yeah, she Ray. She totally has. Right. You are fired. <laughs> I don't have the power to do that. How many people listening do you think are going, well, I'd love an hour for myself. I'd love to be able to make that time for myself, but I am just too busy to sort out being too busy. No, I think that I think that's absolute bollocks. Absolute bollocks. Because everyone can make excuses. And that is the biggest excuse me and Lizzie make all the time. Oh. I just can't. I can't. I've got I've got the kids time. to sort. I've got the kids to sort out. I've got this to sort out. I've got packed lunches to make. I've got this. I've got this person wants their emails, whatever. We spend our lives wasting so much of our time dicking around on social media. I mean, God, I wish I could get rid of the Daily Mail website. I hate that fucking thing. I'm always looking at women in bikinis and I don't need to do that. And Seriously, mate, you need to stop. I no really... One, like, <laughs> this, we are putting our foot down. Cured right there. Just stop. cut that. I actually right. tried stop. to... And there's so many times I've I tried to... I will get my to cats put... to eat your face. <laughs> Please do. Please do. But I have wasted so much time. And then I always say to us, I'm too, I'm, I'm too busy to spend 10 minutes meditating. I'm not... I can always carve out some part of my day. Even if I felt really, really tired, I could do it if I really wanted to. But this is the thing, is it, it takes effort. I'm, I'm reading the Ruby Wax book at the moment all about mindfulness and stress and how she dug herself out of depression. She says exactly the same thing. She could spend a day looking for cushion covers when actually she should have been doing her breathing exercises and we can we can make excuses for ourselves but there is a point where you can carve out your time but I can't no one can do it for you no one can do it for you and that's why in a way GPs 
have got into this situation where people just want a quick pill, people just want a quick fix. And mental health is not a quick fix. It's really hard work, really hard work. You have to speculate to accumulate, don't you? Because if you actually made those, if you made that hour for yourself, you're probably going to find you're a lot more productive in the other 23 hours of the day. I remember my friend saying to me, oh, I think I was talking about maybe going back to see my counsellor or whatever at some point, and I was a bit like... I don't really know if I can afford it. And she said, well, can you afford not to? Which Very good point. Quite, yeah. 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 But and that's it, is to stop thinking of it as self-indulgent. Mm. We're, oh. we're so used to thinking that we're being self-indulgent if we spend an hour to ourselves. You know, it's, it's bollocks. You know, you, you should value the importance of making sure that you feel mentally well whatever in whatever that way is I mean I don't do any of the things that you do but I sit in the car on my way to work and and do the have a word technique which is just kind of going through yeah have a word you know that's bollocks I don't need to worry about that I've got I'm going into work I've got this meeting okay that'll be fine get that done it's okay who am I seeing today oh okay I'm seeing those three people yeah no that's cool that's okay and I'll get home tonight and it's just have a word it's just sort yourself out all of your techniques are angry cockneys shut it (laughs) have a word (laughs) well we're Londoners I mean that's you know that's it I absolutely love it but also when you consider like we've got Jen said and you just said the amount of time and money that people spend self-medicating with alcohol if you've yeah. actually stopped doing that, yeah. I'm particularly considering it's a depressant in itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the simple technique, you know, I just fucked off to Scotland on my own for two days. Did, um, what, did I do 1,200 and something miles round trip? Just went up to look at a mountain and come back. Sorry, Brilliant. Just for a moment, I thought of Alan Partridge and Dundee in his bed. <laughs> Did you take a slightly bigger plate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I did that because I just thought I need to get away. And I left my gorgeous 12 year old daughter with her father, and I went off and literally went and looked at a mountain, and it was fantastic. And then I came back, and that was for me because I needed to clear my head. It was getting noisy in there. And that, to me, did me the world of good. And it was quiet and very emotional and amazing. And it was a drive. Now, I'm lucky enough to have a car, but that's all I needed, literally, was a car. And went up there and did that. You can find the space. You can find the time. You've got to find what it is that helps you. To me, sometimes it can be just going off to Felixstone, sitting and looking at the sea for an hour. It doesn't have to be anything complicated or complex. Whatever your thing is, you know, sit and look at the stars. Just sit and... Look at a blade of grass, whatever. I don't know, whatever your thing is, but it's it is just finding your thing, and then valuing that and put adding that into your day, but making that as important as eating. You know, it is that important. Just do that. It's so weird that people think nothing of going and spending two hours in the gym, but if you said to them, take an hour out to look after your mental health, that's when the I'm too busy kicks in. And for me, exercise is something that is actually something that that's my it's a good time. downtime for me like running's really meditative and I do trapeze and that is just kind of if I think about anything else I'll fall off so you have to sort of just like empty your brain yeah. but I think there's more like meditation I just never had the patience to get into it and I kind of know that that or yoga would help me but I'm just too impatient yeah but maybe that's not your thing because yeah. that's the thing like for Lizzie that's not Lizzie's thing but for me that's my thing and this is why we always make sure that everyone has around you know especially with our course we said right okay these are all the different techniques and these are all the things you can try because everyone is different and everyone has their thing Mm. 
and this is the problem is that at the moment there are sort of schools of thought where it's like right this is this is your cure you will change your life if you do this and we're saying nah it's not as easy as that you have to find the thing it's about trying to do the thing that makes your brain quiet so for some people it is exercise so exercising doing something in a you know repetitive manner it clears your head it allows the chemicals to flow and that is their thing that helps them for me it's actually sitting quietly just being absolutely quiet and stopping all the noise and and meditation is a really hard one to to grasp actually it's it's taken me years and years and years and I'm still not at any way any way enlightened at all uh but desperately trying but I do find that when I do meditate it does help me and it does calm me and I stop having so much of the being beaten up in a care home thoughts it helps to stop those things so everyone has their thing but you have to find it you have like I know that with my dad it's guitar playing when he's playing his guitar he doesn't think of anything else for you it's trapezing Mm because it's about you know having to concentrate a lot of the thing is about concentrating for you it's driving because you have to concentrate when you're driving so it's about finding something that allows you to concentrate but at the same time allows your mind to be free it's a really difficult one to find, but once you find it, Can do it. Can I ask it. a question about meditation? Because I think um, a lot of people, myself included, until quite recently, because it's a much more, it's more, it's something people talk about increasingly, I find, and headspace and... Mindfulness. And, and, yeah. yeah. It, I think there's this sort of misconception that meditation is like, you know, sitting around cross-legged oming and stuff like that. And I think, but I don't know... Is the point of it basically that you're being present, that you're clearing your mind and you're sort of like being in the present moment? Is that the point? Yeah, and it's it's about it it's about allowing because you can some people think of, you know, they're trying to get some enlightened state. They mm. feel like it, they have to suddenly feel the light of the universe and this kind of thing. Yeah. And unless they're feeling that, they're not doing it right. For me, it's not that. For me, I was saying to Lizzie earlier, what I do now is I sit just on my back step and just look at the trees whooshing about just for five minutes. And that is meditation because I'm just concentrating on one thing. I'm letting thoughts come in and out, but I'm not getting attached to thoughts. You don't have to do it in a particular way. You don't have to sit anyway. For instance, I go to classes and People are sit, sitting on all different things. They're sitting in all different positions. Some people close their eyes. Some people don't. Some people, you know, when when pe- some people meditate, they make noises, they chant, whatever. Some people don't. They just like to be quiet. The thing about meditation is all it is, is it's just sitting with yourself, not doing anything else but just sitting. If you just think of it like that, it's no other thing. It's just sitting with yourself you're trying not to plan anything you're not trying to think of a to-do list you're not thinking of your past all you're doing is just sometimes I just it's focusing on the breath is the easiest way to meditate just listen to yourself breathing or watching something it's about sitting quietly with yourself and we don't do that enough so in summary find your thing have a word shut it (laughs) 
it's so easy when you put it like that. Piece of cake. It? Piece of cake. <laughs> the voices start real, like the voices that we need to quieten start really early. Though I was chatting to my friend yesterday, and he's got a, an eleven-year-old boy, and his little boy said to him, "Dad, how many voices have you got in your head?" And my mate was like, "What do you mean?" He went. Well, I've got two, and one of them's really deep. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, though, because I'm like, oh, do you think that's his puberty? And he went, yeah, that's what I thought as well. It's starting to kick in. And then it is just making ways to make them a bit quiet. Mm -hmm. So if you were to offer tips to people to look after themselves, what would they be? I mean, I would say look after yourself. Uh think of yourself treat yourself how you treat others most people are really kind to other people I like to think it's a good place this world it's a lot less horrible than sometimes we're made to believe so most people are good and you're good to other people you're good to your family you're good to your friends be good to you treat you like you treat everyone else Mm -hmm. that's a good way to start and within that you know just take care of yourself take care of Maybe, you know, think about what you're putting into your body and what you're eating. That does make a huge difference. What you're drinking, if you're smoking, those sorts of things. You know, I, I'm not I, I, I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm just thinking, just be mindful of what that does. That does change you and how you think and how you feel. And obviously, physically, if you feel under the weather, you don't feel so good because you're maybe not looking after yourself. That's going to affect your mental health. So think about that. Um, what other things are we going to try any technique that you possibly can just look at all the things out there try it all don't judge yourself if you can or you can't do it but try and find your your thing like for me it's it's the little walk the yoga and the meditation for me those are the three things that keep me sane and when I don't do those things, I start slipping off the path. And I can see it. Also, for me, I have to be really careful of sugar levels. When I have too much sugar, I just go off the wall. And it really is not a good place to be. So I always have to look at it like that as well and just think, OK, it's about not judging yourself. You have to just be sweet to yourself all the time and never think about, you know, you're not saying, oh, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do the other. Because like, if you have to feel like you're doing it every day, you're going to fail. Because I'm never going to do yoga every day. I'm never going to meditate every day. But if I can do it sometime in the week, I will be okay. And that's what you, you have to kind of edge for, is not to be the perfect, shiny person that you want to be. Just go, okay, I'm doing okay. I'll do what I can. But like we said, is just trying to find that piece of time for yourself carve out that piece of time for yourself and cut yourself some slack absolutely absolutely. every single time just stop judging yourself just stop judging and stop judging yourself stop judging everyone else just chill (laughs) (laughs) how do people get in touch with you our website is www.lighthearts-uk.com and there there's the mental well-being site there and there's all the resources that you know you've got meditations on there there's links to websites that will be really useful there's all the mental health helplines on there that can help you for any situation that you've got if you're going through abuse alcoholism drug addiction so you can get direct to the person because for us it's about signposting the resources that are out there (laughs) 